0: Welcome to The Derivative by RCM Alternatives, where we dive into what makes alternative investments go, analyze the strategies of unique hedge fund managers, and chat with interesting guests from across the investment world. Happy birthday to me, well, tomorrow, but if you can't wish yourself happy birthday, what's the point of even having a podcast? Speaking of, we've got some good pods coming in May. We'll be riffing with Resolve about return stacking, talking prop trading and ball surfaces with Noel Smith, and getting into wine and entrepreneurship with Anthony Zhang. So make sure to subscribe and check out those upcoming shows. This pod was super interesting. Digging into the quirky quant details with Artur Sepp, head of systematic solutions and portfolio construction at Signum Bank in Zurich. We chat about his days at trend following firm Quantica and research into quicker and quicker information flow affecting returns, his work on volatility modeling, and why the data and testing and quant approach in crypto is both infuriating and fascinating all at once. Send it. This episode is brought to you by RCM's Outsourced Trading Group, where there are 24-6 trade desks, do call-ins, spreadsheet, FTP, direct-to-exchange, algos, and more. Order types to help firms be cost-efficient and not have to staff their own trade desk. Check it out under the services slash trading firm slash 24-hour desk on the main navigation at rcmalternatives.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everyone, we're here with Artur Sepp, uh, live from Switzerland. What part of Switzerland, Artur?
1: Hi, hi, everyone. Uh, I'm based in uh, Zurich.
0: Zurich. All right. And I got to ask, what's this uh, little painting or drawing over your left shoulder there? <laughs>
1: well, it's uh, something uh, it's from Chagall. It's a favorite painting of my wife.
0: Perfect. I love yeah. it. Um, you're saving up for to buy the real one?
1: uh maybe
0: <laughs> <laughs> talking nice talking nice to share <laughs> one day um uh, so let's start with telling us just a little bit of what it's like to be a quant i think most people think of them as sort of the data character from star trek not sure if you're a star trek fan um but it seems like you're not all android there so what's what's the quant life like mm-hmm
1: well, it's a, it's a hard question to answer. I think, uh, well, it's uh, for me, it's uh, more uh, lifestyle, right? Uh, re- relationships to much of my profession, right? I'm quant by profession. What it means is that uh, I'm tempted to look uh, at scenes in a broader scale. It's uh, For me, it's more interesting. The, to build up a system of uh, how and why things happen, right, and uh, therefore, it's idea is a subtraction. Right? It's what I like. What I like in mathematics, right. I'm not married uh, I, to 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 math per se. Right, it's just part of uh, part of my profession. Part of uh, what I can deliver working in say. Uh, Larger teams where some people they tend to be more say say discretionary or more say intuitive yeah and and here yeah we I stick to a model for me I think the key of being a quant is really to have a systematic way of looking at things and yeah. uh to be able to answer why question why it
0: seems just the modernized version of the word engineer right you're just uh yes an, an... exactly
1: i i actually for me it's the same i yeah i i actually i have a degree in industrial engineering uh, from oh. north university so i studied uh, s- s- several topics and 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 for me it's always it's a uh, it's indeed it's creating a system system that can work through different uh, cycles that can work through say process different uh, data sources different parameters and in the end it's uh, produce some utility I
0: right guess. and that's I value. think that's the main engineering carryover is kind of to make it uh, last too right for more than one purpose to en- exist in more than one environment exactly yes. Uh,
1: Actually, with with this with, with this profession, what I like, is almost. Uh, I think I noticed uh, already. through, I changed uh, a few, few, few firms, few companies, but more or less, <laughs> what I do is the same. It has different names, between say crypto volatility, CTA's, but but more or less, it's <laughs> it's yeah. almost the same. Not almost the same, but it can be attacked uh, or approached with uh, the same uh, set of tools and set of approaches.
0: And have you coded in the same language that whole time?
1: Uh... Well, that's a a good question. Uh, Actually, it's changed. Uh, So since uh, when I just started, early 2000s, it was C++ was predominant. And, And C++, to tell you this, C plus is almost like probably I don't know Latin language, right? It, yeah. it has <laughs> it has everything, but if you process it, you understand. Uh, I think it's more ab- about architecture how how makes things scalable. What is mm-hmm. important? And uh, right now, of course, most of time now I work with Python. It's simpler, right? but idea. I think when we talk about programming ability to to put mathematical formulas and data into code is a skill that is does not depend on language something that you you have to learn right some old ones, especially the ones that once you work in industry in asset management, but it's uh, say language it should not depend on language you choose,
0: yeah. And what came first for you, the, the interest in the statistics and probabilities and math or the coding skill?
1: Actually, it's also it's a good uh, point. Actually, as an undergraduate, I studied uh, finance and uh, economics. It was fairly, it was like very quanti- quantitative, right? But then I, and we studied... Uh, uh, modern portfolio theory like uh, Markowitz and Black Shows. And at that time, I started to actually, I was very curious because those were mathematical models that you could implement in that time in Excel and VBA. But then over time, I I, I, I thought that it's very interesting. It's why I, I went to, to, to graduate program in statistics, but uh, in between I got... Uh, after that, I, I got PhD, and I got uh, three master's degrees. And yes, indeed, through all time, I did coding. I think it's important, as say, more people with applied, uh, say, background, you, you always... Mathematics is one way you, you make a hypothesis. You can create nice theories, but in there, to To apply things in practice, you need to do some experiments. And experiments, it's using data and like running some outputs. And therefore, I think programming skills are important. And everyone nowadays, everyone who plans to to get some sort of uh, science degree should should take uh, enough time to to, to learn this. uh, this Yeah.
0: But it seems to me we're at a bit, almost at a tipping point, right? Where you have some of these no-code platforms and things where the code can kind of create itself, especially like you said, for some of these math equations, that seems like a simple plug-in for lack of a better term, right? Are we going to get to a point eventually where the coding is less important and the more important part is knowing how to apply and and do the different testing and the different models on it? It's
1: It's a valid point. I think uh, yes and no. Uh, nowadays, what I what I see in candidates, like uh, say to the one that uh, I interview, most of, especially this data science guys, they know how to use particular say Python package, right? As uh, scikit-learn or TensorFlow what I think they are missing this understanding of why actually, why,
0: yeah.
1: Under what conditions you expect something to work, what are numerical representations, right? What the, say, convergence, how would you analyze the convergence of your algorithm? So therefore, and especially also in, say, in production, right? I I can do something for experiment. I can take luck and uh, like uh, play solution. But usually it's always, it's very limited. Uh, it's limited almost, it's limited to work in 95% of cases, right? All this, is, is in the end, it's mathematics. It's, uh, it's a complicated, fairly complicated algorithms. Yes, it's very simple to use for some, say, nice problems. But <laughs> the ones that we have in finance, you always almost hit uh, that 5% that, you have to think yourself yeah. a little bit how to
0: tweak it well, If that. Five percent can put you out of business. It's it's important. Moving on, can't have you on and not talk about trend given what's going on in the world right now and given your time at Quantica. Mm. Um, so part of me feels bad for you, right? You left Quantica in August of 21, which is right around the time trend started to go vertical. Do you look back and say, whoops, I shouldn't have left? Or uh, do you well, see and kick yourself, or it's all good?
1: All good. Uh, there <laughs> are two points. Uh, so, so first of all, like uh, CTAs, in particular, trend phone CTAs cannot be timed, right?
0: So, yeah. <laughs> don't try.
1: You you can enter, you can leave, or you can enter them all the time. Like, you cannot say, oh, yes, I, I left at that time. So, but, uh, I actually, so, we, yeah, of course, the, uh, when I exited this uh, before that, uh, and actually last year, what was interesting, last year was very similar to this year. So almost also was short trend, uh, like rates uh, rose, right? We, we mm-hmm. had a correction in rates. So all CTAs were short uh, bonds, uh, long commodities, uh, agricultural especially, and flattish equities. But then around May, it's all like it's uh, all corrected. I trend reversed, so I wouldn't say that I, I went. Like almost say, I can say at, I left at the local uh, peak. Got it. And the second point, I, I still I have uh, my own portfolio, that's more or less CTA based and. Oh, okay. Uh, so I still participate and I, I like I I. I think rainfall for, for me, is one of the best uh, systematic strategies. It fits my mentality, and, and I like, say, in terms of diversification, in terms of, uh, say, return potential, and, uh, say, skewness. Yeah. It's uh, one of the best stuff is out there, and uh, I, th- I think, for me, there is no way I can't. <laughs> Kind of exit this, right?
0: It's so, on, so well, now it it seems you have the best yeah. of both worlds. Like you're not dependent on it for your paycheck and for your investments. Now you can have some diversity in your in your yeah. exposures, right? Yes. Um uh, yes. So what what was some of the most interesting trend research you did there? You were head of research, right? Yes. Yes. So uh, you got any good good stories of some of the cool mm-hmm. stuff
1: you did? Yes, it's definitely it's uh, interesting. Uh, as I said, CTAs is an interesting business because you have data, uh, right? You conduct it,
0: like... Yeah, tons and tons uh, of data. For
1: example, for, for crypto, right, you have, most cases, is like two, three years of data. And here we have data since, say, even tradable data for commodities since uh, 1960s, right? And... Uh, my research uh, one of the interesting parts and also in line with our peers is uh, to see the deterioration of trend following since the 70s 80s 90s and uh, how what are implications so in say in 70s 80s even you had a transaction cost very high you could run a short term trend following system meaning that your holding period on average would be maybe two weeks, less than one month, right? And you had stellar performance. It was, it's almost, was like an alpha strategy. It traded very, it traded, uh, turnover was high, transaction costs were high, but the statistical nature of markets where you had these self-feeding cycles uh, they they generated uh, performance, say, depends on specification, but, say, between two and three sharp, right, up to mid-90s. Yeah. Then, of course, professional CTA started. The bigger guys, they started to enter the market around 90s. Right, You had bigger players. Then, of course, it started to deteriorate. And the way to respond is, of course, to increase the trend, uh, the scale, uh, so your holding period would have to be around one month.
0: Increase your holding period. Exactly. It. Yeah.
1: Increase in some way, it's uh, increasing the decay rate of your signal, right? So the decay, you always take some sort of a look back. Depends on what weighting you use, but you always depend on some history of say one, one, one week. Ideally it would be one week then yeah. you can adapt fast. Right? If these conditions persist, you you, you would adapt fast.
0: Well, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Real quick, if you're thinking of it in like terms of bars, right? So if I'm trading daily bars and I, yeah. the signal deteriorates after 500 bars or something, if I'm trading yeah. monthly bars, that's 500 months. I've greatly expanded the, the time till deterioration.
1: And to, to is also a good point. So with bars, you can think also how bars, like say, week over week, right? Ideal for trend following if bars kind of increase, yeah. right? You have yeah. a stair, it they High go, go, go up? Lower lows. Right? Yes. Or, or down. Or vice versa. Yeah. Right? And what happens uh, since 2000, and especially over the last decade, uh, market change, right? You have like, say, Market takes elevator down and then goes and steps up, right? What? So you had a negative, and if it goes too much up, then it kind of again it's correct, corrected. And this environment is more like mean reversion, right? You have mean reversion, and to avoid that on shorter scales, on say one week. Right. So if one week is positive, next week is most likely to be negative,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and so on, across almost all asset classes. And this is a difficult condition for train following, because yeah. what you want is market persistency, the statistical persistency called positive autocorrelation. So this was one part that I found interesting. What was maybe unusual or...
0: Real quick on that, did you... Did you get to a reason of why that changed? Was it, be, right? Some people say the space got too big. There was too many assets chasing too few contracts. Mm-hmm. Uh, others have argued against that, saying that the stats don't really show, right? The price action, you could say, but the volume stats don't really show it.
1: Yes, uh, well, I'm a mathematician, so
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I can
1: answer in mathematical terms. Uh, the nature of market changed. Before markets to be more like uh, there was more this uh, positive autocorrelation, what what I call that. Yeah. Probably it was a slow propagation of news, right? It would take a time that mm. market would converge to equilibrium through several steps, through several weeks, or several days, several weeks. And therefore, by say, kind of discovery, early discovery, you would be able still to participate.
0: Yeah.
1: And nowadays, especially over past decades, right, you... It's more like this kind of mean reversion where the news propagates very fast market corrects very fast and then the rest you have like uh, kind of this positive trend but it's not because it's positive right there is say qe programs or people getting into equities right? this kind of not something that you you want right? something yeah. resistant
0: Right. It comes, it starts to become more binary, just right. There's some yeah. new shift that just shifts the market from here to here, and then it's yes, exactly chopping along here. Um, so yeah, that's interesting. That's right around the time the internet, obviously, then social media, then computers. So, right, everything was just getting faster in terms of the, the market moving news propagating high frequency trading firms. So, for you, not because trend following got too big, but rather the rest yeah. of the players got. Too much information. Too, too efficient.
1: Too, too fast. Too efficient trading, especially in commodity markets, is there is informed traders, right? There is be bigger uh, trading houses that could adjust very fast, m- much faster than say traditionally it would be. Say more clusters of smaller traders that would take yeah. longer time to adjust. Nowadays you you have few concentrated. Players that could move very fast, in a, for, in a way that is not tradable by, by trend like uh, CTAs.
0: But so then, how do you explain the recent performance and how they keep going? Right. So because well, it's uh, uh, it
1: yeah. I, again, it's a narrative. Right. It's uh, we waited for a long time and trends were very good. If you, it's a perfect environment because I think rates, ten year UST rate. It was uh, last August. It was one point two and then it went to almost like a, this straight line to now we have 2.7 right yeah so it was 1.5 like it's really and correction didn't uh, last more than one month so it, it's a perfect environment where you you get like uh, like increase increase this is exactly what you want for a trend following. you increase shorts shorts and it goes yeah. your way
0: a little right. bit and at a time, you months. can move your stop. Right.
1: Up. Exactly. Yeah, and also this oil was very good. It's some kind of it was very good uh, combination. Also oil, and oil also. I think uh, the trend really strengthened uh, mid October. Right, we were under sixty, and uh, end of February it was one thirty, and actually, and cities I think were long. I would say November, December. You you didn't wait until 130, right? And after the correction, I think actually must be most of the guys must be flat. It was yeah. also, also good in terms of say portfolio diversification. When the correction in oil happened, right? Rates went up. So actually yeah, it, it was it things was very smooth. <laughs> very the, smooth. Um,
0: uh, do you have any thoughts? I've long said on here that a lot of trend followers went Long bias added yes, more added more equity beta right exactly. to survive because it was such a long period of nothingness that they had to do something to survive and now those then, programs are kind of underperforming here. Exactly, were you guys te- that, were you tempted in your research to say hey if we just made long bias it would work a lot better? Uh,
1: well, so the, the part that I know from, from uh, say say so, from other sources I can tell you. So, part of Freezer, what also important framework I developed was uh, carrier. Right? It's, uh, and I tell you why it's important. So, for futures, carrier, say for bonds, is very carry, important. Yeah. Carry. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, no carry. Word. The one that, if you your return uh, from backwardation and contango. So, when commodities in backwardation, it means there are economic benefits of holding the asset. So, for example, for bonds, if it's, uh, and also commodities are always success return. So, if I buy, say, 10-year treasury bond on a margin, I get the coupon that, that my, my car is a uh, rate that I get the coupon and I pay funding. rate.
0: Yeah.
1: For me, it's beneficial if funding rate is zero, right? And I buy 10-year coupon at 1%, I get it. The second important Component is uh, rolled down because I am constantly changing my contract to ten-year future, and if uh, slopes are in uh, rising, right? If market expects rates to rise, but actually nothing happens, right? Say in one year, ten-year bond will be at 0.9, right? So I get uh, 10 10 basis points multiplied by duration. Right? Yeah. So
0: this Which is. Po- but that's what was happening for the past 30 years almost. Exactly. Right? There was always expectation but, of higher and it never came yes. to be. But
1: actually, and this is surprising part. A lot of people, the, the people, like you have to understand fixed income. Actually, with negative rates, German bonds were the best investment in your CTA portfolio.
0: Yeah, and in the reason 19? That, uh, yeah.
1: Yes, even yeah, yeah. before that. So especially say 10 year. year was or five year and then you pay excess return right and if your funding rate is uh, minus 75 but your coupon is uh, like 50 basis points you get the spread of 25 basis points right plus if the if a term structure right so you bought it at say at minus (laughs) at minus 50 but then it moved to minus seventy-five, right? You, yeah. you get this duration; it declined
0: more negative. So actually,
1: and plus because we are all almost everything is on risk basis, right? Volatility was very low, so the component say carry component of bonds of short dated say both were more than one. So sharp pressure. If I just buy bond at negative rate, I hold my expected return is sharp of one. Well, <laughs> uh, on the risk address, there's me. a
0: lot, a lot of money being yes. spent on stuff more fancy than just buying. Yes. But-, <laughs> but it means also in commodities. So similar in commodities,
1: a lot of stuff that say right now, right, it's uh, it always some sort of deterioration, right? Right now, short term supply is, uh, say, say is uh, affected, right? So short term, People expect higher prices, but uh, lawyers term lawyers. So, so we have backwardation, right? Yeah. What, what actually also, most of the time, is actually if you buy now, <laughs> say if nothing happens, right? So you, you get this current company. Right? And, and this is for many commodities. It's always uh, economic thinking uh, th- think this that. All producers, once they see higher prices, they would uh, like supply the market. Right? Yeah. But it's never like this. It's that never easy. not linear. And, and usually, but and usually, so carry also in commodities is important component. I like to. Uh-huh. Sorry, go ahead. And then, uh, so what brings us to trend following is that over time, say in 70s, 80s, if you make a breakdown of your P L how much you actually got because prices changed or how much you got from just getting the current component, right? That, that since didn't change, and you just get your, your yeah. coupon or, or your backwardation in commodities. Actually, 10, 20% in the mm. early 70s, 80s, 90s. Right now, over the past decade, over the, especially last years, it came to 40, 50%. Right, say prior to the last year, say so 70s over, and 80s, say,
0: 20% of the profits were from Kerry and 90s yes. and 2000s, 80% of the profits from carry. No, 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 vice uh, versa.
1: 90s uh, were still 20%. So, okay, well, 90s were 20, 2030s, 2010s, 40%. Right? Got it, and okay. this is the reason exactly as you said, two companies that holding periods increased. Right. And maybe not many CTAs even realized that you actually, you benefited a lot from like past 10 years, most people were loan bonds and bonds didn't, okay, there was, of course we, say, uh, benefited from fallen rates, but it's not as big as, say, benefiting from this uh, fix fit. Like, uh, yeah, these- more
0: so benefiting from poor uh, estimates on what the future would be, on that rates exactly, would be high. Exactly. And so, what do and you I make? Seen- have, have you seen Roy Niederhofer's research on that? If you flip the chart, right? If bonds go on a 30 year rising interest rates, because of this carry, trend following might be flat to negative, mm-hmm. right? It's but, not, but necess- is- <laughs> yeah. it's not I, necessarily love- going to make the same money. Have you seen the, his piece? Uh, no, but uh, I, I see. I see the
1: reasoning, and I tell you, in my actually, why I'm positive now on trend following. I, I, as I said, I did uh, a lot of long-term studies, and seventies, uh, late seventies, early eighties were the best time for trend following because they were short. They were both short, equities <laughs> and bonds. And the reason is right now, actually. A carry effect is not very strong because uh, term structure are flat. It's actually the opposite. If, for example, so if I have, say, uh, now slopes are negative, I'm actually benefiting of, of being short. Yeah. Actually, so, but being said that, it's always, you have to be careful, right? With strength following, with, say, I prefer to keep it as pure as it is, and for me, carries a second-order effect, right? But it's important. It's important to maybe adjust positions so I understand what are, say, drivers of returns. Uh, to his point, that it cost, it would cost when, uh, when say, you short long-term bonds. And your current uh, rate is still very small, right? Yeah, but yeah. You would lose on this coupon carry, right? There is not much of roll down. That right now, uh, term structure
0: is flat. Yeah, which we could see in the next in five years or something. Maybe short terms at two percent and longer terms at ten yes. percent or something. Yeah. But now, yes. right? It's we're basically flat. Or yes. twos are I, above 10, right? Yeah.
1: Because bonds are, futures are excess returns. So if, say, short-term rate goes to whatever, 5%, and 30-year bond yields you 5% and term structure is flat, my my carry is zero, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So So then it's just the price action.
1: Yes, exactly. I'm not, like, that's the difference, that I'm not short in, say, cash cash bonds. In futures, you always, on like, excess funding rate.
0: Um, and so, part of was part of your leaving Quantica that the there wasn't enough to research and trend. Did you get bored with the trend research? Right. It seems like there's only so many ways to skin the cat. You can mm-hmm. do a bunch of moving averages. You can put a bunch of filters on, but there's not like a blue ocean of new things to research. There I mean, is that right or wrong.
1: Well, I mean, uh, I think. <laughs> CTA has uh, survived, uh, right? Since it, it's probably the oldest quant strategy out yeah. there. A lot of equity, like this kind of mean reversion, it, it didn't survive,
0: right?
1: Yeah. And I think uh, partly it's because it's very conservative, right? It says, uh, 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 but there is a lot of things to 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 do. So uh, some part I, I mentioned also some what I think. Most interesting a part of say traditional uh, price based trend following was uh, sentiment da- data. Hmm. And uh, re- re- so sentiment, you know that you heard that some people applied it for stocks. What I found interesting in say in my 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 application that you can also trade, say, global futures, like or say, US-based futures, equity, bond, uh, commodities, based on news flow, right? And news flow, in my opinion, so since like uh, now, question, it's, it has been a new world since uh, Corona crisis, uh, reasons that traditional models, they need to take some time. So, quant models, you need always, you need to observe the phenomena, You need to, say, train. You you need to think how I translate, say, this phenomena into actionable ideas, how I build my model, how I back back test it, and how I put in production. And, And so, of course, it takes time. With sentiment, what we observe intuitively, say, each news, economic news, for example, unemployment numbers, right? If it's You expect that in certain regimes, a bad number is a good number in some sense. Like right now, I would say bad number would mean that the Fed is on pause, so you actually market would benefit. Right before crisis, say no one knew the extent. Right, how deep the economy can contract. And therefore, everyone would expect that bad number is a bad number. Next time, it will be even worse. And this type of system where you have different news, right? So imagine you have different sentiment. You can track, say, news related to unemployment, news related to uh, COVID, to oil supply, to wars, to, to... everything and you can create a continuous time series right that would say maybe you, you can normalize so it would be almost like a scores right so negative score would mean that this news feed right now is very negative yeah and then you you study impact so a little bit of machine learning we try to select the factors that actually drive right now the market right Right now, everything that relates to theater, right now, to would drive the market. Anything relates to war, right? Uh, and uh, and the trick there is think,
0: when. How do you know when it switches? Right. Yeah, so it's a
1: sh- short term. It's a short term system yeah. where you constantly update your 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 say model. Maybe week, every month. You just try to select uh, factors that matter most. And also their loadings. So this is a perfect. What I like it's it's uh, statistics. It's uh, first of all for me it it it's a high frequency. It's, it's not high frequency. High turnover. Yeah. High turnover strategy. It has very good defensive profile. Right. It's almost like being loan volatility. Is very sensitive to transaction costs. But what I found interesting is. For me it's some sort of trend following on news on yeah. news sentiment.
0: And That's it cool. Can be made to work. Right. And basically long and short, the same piece of news at different environments. Yes. And uh, this is
1: also what, what people were calling now casting. I think
0: don't yeah. become
1: popular, but yes, I I come up with some model at least in say that, that mm. I that I like it.
0: Uh, and what do you make? I can't remember the authors of the paper, but there was a paper about a year or two ago talking about as soon as a factor is identified, it actually ceases to be a factor, right? Like the very fact that you've identified it and put it into the market, other players have done the same work and identified it, put it in the market, and it ceases to be, you know, kind of a value to drive the, the alpha that you thought it could drive. Have you seen that in real, t- in real yes. practice?
1: No. Well, fortunately, not probably in my case. Yeah. I can not it's always, the question is always what kind of uh, factor, right? So, say, so, so most of academic re- literature, especially factor, it's, it's very simplistic ways. Mm-hmm. You find some sort of whatever fundamental or some sort of behavioral factor, you sort of build your rankings, and then you Put like some kind of duck testing, right? Whereas we go, say, for example, and it's of course, I mean, first of all, is obviously if there is something that you come up, like say, okay, it's academia, you would anyway expect that people profit. If it has value, it's a natural that it will disappear because yeah. people would profit. In more, say, in our systematic trading, I mean, everyone knows what CTA is. right? say, for example, CTA is. But there are so many different layers. You cannot actually tell that it's a risk premium. It's a dynamic strategy that is more, say, the values from rules, from applying the rules and from harvesting the beta. So, so almost, for me, it's
0: more like... With sticking to it, right? The values from yes. enduring. So you mentioned risk premium. You were at Julius Baird doing risk premium, right? Um, uh, yes, I bit. everything. Uh, so dish the dirt for us on the, the pros and cons of, of risk premium strategies. To me, sometimes a little too simplistic. And like we just talked about, if everyone rushes into one on some bank platform, it's likely to stop working uh what are your thoughts well
1: this is uh because we have uh say fundamental factors like probably valuation we have structural like say short volatility mm-hmm. that, that say more demand imbalances uh, in in my opinion you have to be very clever how, how you implement it right? it's uh it's a strategy for good times, <laughs> in my opinion.
0: Yeah.
1: So you can build a well-diversified, say, portfolio of different risk premium. What is good, probably, risk premium, you, you have always expectation, right? Always say, like, simple cash and carry arbitrage, right? You you buy or short the future, depending where term structure is, and you buy and sell, sell spot, right? And of course, problem is inversions. So with carry strategies, or with uh, say risk premium strategies, most of them, you make money 80% of the times, 80, 90, right? The problem is that those remaining 10%, they actually can invalidate a, any return that, mm. that you make. So therefore, I believe that a lot of this stuff exists, like say short volatility, is because it's difficult to over time, right? You you have to be there through words of the times,
0: right? That, and therefore, like, yes, it exists. But they're like Can terminal you? break even, you're saying basically. Exactly. So if you access it, yes. make sure you only do it for a certain period of time, but then you're in exactly. the timing, which is difficult. But sure, yes, but there's exactly surely the like positive skew risk premium strategies or no? Uh, or people don't select so that, those because they lose, 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 and then make money, right? Is there uh, can I go on a platform and get the momentum risk premium or the trend premium, right?
1: Uh, I think I think for me it's more like say the classic trend following is a dynamic strategy, so it's actually it's making you trying to replicate this beta profile that works yeah. in certain situations. Uh, risk premium for me, it's almost always like a, some sort of a term structure, right? When, yeah. say, in implied volatilities, if there is a normal period, say, of uh, calmness, but you still, you expect something bad to happen, so you're actually betting that these things are not going to happen, right? And you get your uh, coupon, like your, your excess return. Uh, so to your point, it's so, and maybe inequities. If you say okay, there's a value, but the problem is that it's not something that you have to be sufficiently long period of time, right? And if you are saying okay, if strategy has positive skewness, it means it must realize over short periods of time, right? That uh, and yeah. the value factor. So you have like a decay and suddenly you can have a very sharp return. Most of the risk premium is naturally short skewness.
0: Okay, interesting. Um, yeah, and to me, it hasn't really built, it hasn't fulfilled its promise. That was coming out a few years ago of like, oh, you're going to be able to do anything and pull some alpha off the off the shelf, so to speak, uh, when mm-hmm. it's by definition not really alpha. It's it's some sort of beta, right? With um
1: yes. Kind of delayed a bit
0: in business. Yeah. So let's move on to vol trading. Um, you had your delta hedging paper way back mm-hmm. on. Um, we've had some debates on this podcast between different episodes of some people, right, who are basically saying the whole the gamma, the delta hedging, that's what the whole game is in the S&P. And if you're not cued in to where those levels are from the dealers, you're going to, you're not going to do so well. Another guys saying, yes, it's a factor, but it's very small, right? Maybe it's moving the S and P points at certain thing, but right. It's not causing it to move 50 handles or something. So take us through what you found in your paper and what your thoughts are on the whole dynamic, especially currently as options, volume has exploded and whatnot.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh well so so i tell you my 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 background so with wall so first uh i was working uh, for this that uh, who who made um, markets in emerging market equities so Hmm. and that uh, it's it's a otc big size and liquid my illiquid underlines, and, and where that idea came from—that you really try to look at your risk and how, how much it would cost you to hedge. Right, so that origin of that paper. Now, if and of course flows are like on OTC market, flows are important, but they are one way. It's only the dealer who yeah, dictates yeah. the price, and you can always say. You always can say put your spreads high and but moreover to the point yes your positioning creates feedback loops and they are very strong if you and most of the time yes it depends on how clients positioned and how that, that definitely would create a very strong feedback effect right going to SP, I, I I doubt I think it's market is too deep and it's more positioning of market overall that matters rather than position of several dealers like for example what we had in uh, February 2018 when w- wall market done yeah that it was market was everyone was short wall right it's, so I don't know if what, what dealers
0: yeah mm. yeah they well, you could argue the s and p didn't really move all that much, even though vol exploded yes. up, right so yes, um it was position of market,
1: but some people believe in these levels yeah. for me, it's, I think uh, I thought uh, this was more like definitely flows are important for and for a, especially on a loan side, right? Like most of, for example, or tra- traditionally, especially private banks, where clients are typically short volatility. So they they sell through structured products to the bank loan dated options or yeah. in return to, to some sort of kind of coupon, right? A problem but it's uh, almost everywhere. Even though you can buy it cheaper than you would say, go in, in listed markets, right? You you are long volatility and you have this uh, current de- decay, and you need something bad to happen in markets, right? That, that you you need that flow. So to be long volatility, you somehow you need to be attached to to a good flow. Of Cheap volatility
0: yeah, if your clients' uh, flow that's short the other side yes, um, exactly.
1: you cannot just buy on markets like uh, for example, I would not assume that you would be able to profit systematically from being low & p options unless you incorporate some sort of other information
0: uh, and what your viX blow up paper as well what was what was the conclusion there on? on those products we're having uh we're having vol shares who just launched the new vix etfs on either the week after or the week before you but um what are your thoughts on those products are they useful tools are they dangerous
1: i think what- they are very dangerous especially <laughs> for i think for retail i right? i mean professional player they would implement anyway through this kind of term structure They would not be, of course, it's (laughs) how they would uh, have, you you have to manage your margin call, right, or margins. But here it was product that was just wiped out, right? Like, you just wiped out of equity. And and I think, yes, people discuss. it It was a feedback effect. Because it closed, uh, I think, uh, the reason was that it closed the end of the day, right? And
0: yeah.
1: price declined. And dealers, like <laughs> well-known Swiss banks, they had to liquidate their loan, uh, their short position, in a 15-minute period where, when markets, like cash, was closed. Futures was open, and that really created uh, some some crazy liquidity effect that uh, product product blow. Right, and I think it, so. Go mm-hmm. ahead. Uh, Statistically, I think it it was high convexity event uh, that uh, S&P dropped like minus four, minus five percent, and VIX almost doubled.
0: Yeah, Yeah. right. Because of those flow effects, and because in the prospectus it said they'd have to exit right if it was below a certain level, that was seemed to be the biggest mistake. Um, But at the same time, that was they wanted to stay solvent, right? So yeah. they want they had that language in there, so they had an out instead of you know going bankrupt. Um, and then, what have you done any quant any modeling on the VIX itself? What do you see as the challenges on like doing quant work on the VIX? It seems like its own animal there.
1: Yes, indeed, uh, I did this, 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 some quantitative and empirical work. I think the most interesting aspect is uh, relationship between. Uh, puts uh, SP puts skew and uh, weeks, right? Yeah, and uh, sort of uh, weeks uh, calls call skew, right? So it's more or less the same function. SP tanks, right? You can be say long SP puts, but also long uh, weeks calls, right? So, uh,
0: this is interesting.
1: Another interesting effect is the uh, so this is more like a
0: skewness. And that ratio should be the same-ish, right? Uh, but you're saying it gets dislocated, it gets out of whack?
1: Yes. Typically, as a second-order premium, VIX uh, uh, skewness is steeper than, say, two. That opens up, say, a opportunities, like, say, arbitrage, right? You, you would be short VIX calls and uh, long VIX
0: puts, uh, S&P puts. Yeah except it's, feb 18 that would have taken uh-huh. you to the cleaner right yes, so the, the exactly skew so is probably there because there's things that can happen where the vix moves without the s p moving yes another one so this is more like yes this kind of skewness
1: another one is term structure uh that is uh, like the most uh interesting counterintuitive so when term structure is in contagio so you should sell. Right, yeah. Because uh, when it's actually in backwardation, right, you should buy. But usually it inverse when VIX is above thirty. So this creates some sort of interesting strategies where if VIX is above thirty, you would buy it. You would buy even though it's not cheap. Yeah. But say, say expectation. It's again, if not the carry based uh, sort of
0: uh, you buy the future because the cash is above the future you're saying. exactly yes even it, though it's if in nothing contango, happens, right? yeah.
1: yeah, nothing happens you are long volatility and you get the carry right this is ideal hmm. uh, right it, uh, it works few few times in past, but it, it's it's again it's not tradable it's interesting but it's very hard because this we're really looking at a handful of events that, that where it would work and it's all the time it's, it's so much conditional on say, your rebalancing what what future expiry you, you got yeah but this is definitely interesting I think and I, I know that some people they they do basically strategies where looking at the term structure of bigs you would they trade uh, one way or another with uh, S&P, mixing S&P, S&P options,
0: digs, and probably digs options. And then do you right, tie in a little bit of machine learning? Like if there's so few of those big spikes, right? Like how do you do any valuable backtest or research of, right? Do you have enough data on those big spikes to make it statistically um, significant, your research?
1: No, that's the point that you cannot make uh, it's really like I saw it in, in backtest of, of this kind of loan volatility. It's really you make money at two or three points, right? And therefore it's always always this this strategy you 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 need to look at robustness, right? You Somehow, if you want to do something like that as a standalone, it will not work. It should be part of more, say, broad, uh, some kind of, uh, how
0: they're
1: called, Uh, tail hitch. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) actually. Or just a long equity portfolio. Yeah.
0: Yes. Okay, let's move on finally to your new gig at Signum. Am I saying that correct? Signum? Yes, Signum. Signum. So tell us what you're doing there, why you joined, and all, all the goods.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, well, so I actually, uh, part of my decision was uh, a new book. Uh, so I have a bookshelf and uh, there is some mathematical methods, uh, expected returns, so risk yeah, uh, active portfolio management, and then there is a new one that is uh, blockchain and distributed ledger.
0: That's that
1: your issue. Uh, it's not <laughs> unfortunately not mine, <laughs> not yet at least. It's uh, Alex Lipton. He, yeah, yeah. he's um, he was previously he, he was global head of uh, once, uh at uh, Banco at Merlin, Bank of America Merlin. And we worked, uh, he, he was manager of my managers, but uh, we had still very good relationships. And I saw he, he he moved to blockchain like a few years back. And then I was following here and there his publications. Uh, last year, we decided to work, start to work more closely like uh, DeFi applications. So automated market makers, stuff like that. And so I, I kind of got interested. I... I still have, say, my reservation about <laughs> where this all is go, but it's interesting. It's developing fast, and when I saw opportunity at Signum, I already had some 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 feet in this area. I, I said, okay, this is that's it. I should go.
0: Okay. And they're Zurich based there. Zurich, yes. Right. So Zurich is a digital
1: bank. We do a lot of things uh, like uh, tokenization.
0: Uh, uh,
1: cost idea, uh, but also sort of traditional asset management.
0: So like, digital banks, all crypto or has some, some fiat, has good old fashioned francs and dollars as well?
1: Uh, like you, you can hold cash, but, but uh, all activities are devoted to crypto. Got it. Especially on investment side.
0: Um, and so we just talked about the craziness of modeling VIX. Now take us through the craziness of doing some quant <laughs> modeling on crypto.
1: Yes, that's that's a perfect. Uh, to, yeah, unfortunately, I cannot uh, share my screen, but I tell you one in one. It's very interesting. Uh, say piece of figure that I want to show to, to everyone. Yeah. So part part of my, my my role I created a database of all tokens, all protocol tokens or coins that were traded right, over time and
0: uh, traded anywhere, any place, traded anywhere, yes. So
1: yeah. so we work with several data providers so so they all have this data, it just a lot of stuff change over time you have different names different tickers but i, I did work and i have more than 5000 different stuff that traded moreover yeah. the stuff had uh, volumes that that volumes are non-nuns that uh, in market cap 5000 uh, two and a half still active uh, active in crypto meaning that there are still some activities. The protocol can be dead, right? So most of the time it goes up, it spikes, then it goes down to say whatever, zero, zero, yeah. zero, something. But because in crypto per se, there are no listing requirements, so since it sits there, can, huh? be, can be there. So in my it's data set, there are 5,000 sort of dead <laughs> stuff in five. So So 5,000 total, of it it's kind of it's uh, just disappeared probably was not economical yeah to keep track of them uh two in the five thousand are still even though some of them don't trade frequently then what i did uh, for each of them during the period that they were live i computed the maximum drawdown and the uh, pa return. just
0: yeah
1: i and if I plot, so if I plot uh, my X is a drawdown, at my Y is PA return, right? So you understand that drawdown usually, if since goes minus 90%, say drawdown minus 95, is no way to get back because you you need like uh,
0: yeah
1: a thousand X uh, returns, per right? Doesn't count. And of course, then your per annum return also is negative. So actually, you would be surprised how much since are in lower quadrant, withdraw down uh, more than 90% and effectively negative uh, per annum return.
0: Yeah. So you want to be in the top left quadrant, right? Yes.
1: So 95% stuff, it didn't make through. 95, right? That means that, they were legit kind of projects with market cap, with volumes, but
0: they didn't make it through.
1: Ninety-five hmm. percent
0: right? Our negative return and, and yes, large negative
1: return and effectively drawdown. So if you invested one dollar, maybe right now you would be less than one cent. Yeah. So the, even though it's still, you would still you you would have it in your wallet. Right? <laughs> but yeah. You would not probably. But I so what, is,
0: how, how it, what does that tell you? Trade these things it don't. Tells you that them. verification.
1: Yeah. Nevertheless, if we compute, uh, so of course there are two biggest survival survivors. Yeah. Is Bitcoin and Ethereum. Moreover, if you build sort of theoretically equal weighted portfolio, right, that you invest on in all tokens that have available market cap. You would actually decent return. So, I right, like it, it would be, of course, risky, but say we would be talking of maybe 200% annuals, right? Mm. Which is even
0: decent, with right? the 95% failure. Yes, yeah. yes, wow. because few of them, right? Yeah. There
1: were exceptional guys, like uh, more than, say, 2000. Two of course, I did, so. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would not. Uh, there was exceptional return. But more so that would be for me, it's more like a venture capital, right? You would invest in smaller stuff, you, you would make money. Uh, also market cap. So instead of just taking equally weighted, we just go market cap. That would also make it through. So you invest in no investable universe, whatever is available at that time, just in proportion to the market cap. So you would also something even slightly better than Bitcoin and it's not accounting for transaction costs.
0: But doesn't does that put too much faith in the past, right? Of like is most of that return in the 15 to 20 range? Yeah.
1: I think for me, yes, but also it's pythons in down. Yeah. So what for me tells crypto is all about diversification. Especially if you want to go, okay, you can invest in Ethereum, Bitcoin, probably those are already established, right? The rest, like, it's almost like lottery tickets, right? Yeah. <laughs> Don't buy, if, if you think that uh, it's kind of everything will explode, crypto industry, no, just go buy <laughs> lottery tickets. Instead. The same type of, <laughs>
0: this way it happens faster, right? And what about so, trading? And what about building quant models to go in and out of them? Yes. So
1: we actually, we're building right now what I think most interesting, what we're building is uh, sectors. And in crypto, it's, of course, it's very, there are trends, right? What everyone, say, last, like, say, beginning of last year was d5 and meat of was uh, metaverse and web3 and in my opinion now also it's much better chances if you say if you select the right sector with proper diversification you can generate high mm. excess returns let's say outperform say ethereum right or, or bitcoin and for me and what we are building, like it's uh, rebuilding uh, crypto sectors. One of the say projects that I think uh, is very innovative and very interesting, what we're also doing NLP based classification because unlike the traditional industry, you have very well defined sectors like uh, uh, financials, uh, utilities, oil, a uh, pharma and so on, right? And you for pharma, you have sub maybe, right? And uh, in crypto, there is nothing like this exists. So right. people know, say, DeFi sector, they can define, right? Uh, like maybe Web three, you can define, but subsectors of Web three are difficult to define, right? And where what we do is
0: an OP. And and what's your your take on Web3? Like, There's a lot of hot takes that it's kind of a scam and just made up. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Web3.
1: I mean, well, Web3 layer zero, what is called uh, layer zero is uh, polka dot uh, ICP atom. These are more almost like a foundational layers to create blockchain. So to create a distributed uh, chain of interconnected blockchain, right? And important is that those are more almost like a programs where you could replace the protocol, change the source code, and it would preserve the existing application, right? Mm. As you know, with uh, blockchain, with Bitcoin, you have this fork version when something Happens that algorithm or protocol cannot develop, or there's some very big conflict where it, it cannot be resolved, right? We say blocks, some kind of either fraudulent or some yeah. logical failure that you have to fork, you have to create a, a restart a new copy of your blockchain with layer zero avoids it, and it's a code. Uh, it's a platform to create uh, the apps, uh, digital applications. So all kind of maybe DeFi, NFT, gaming, they can be built seamlessly on these platforms. So therefore, this part is definitely the top ones. that They will survive, right? That I definitely don't think it's... Uh,
0: and from an investor's standpoint, though, scal- can I... To- i've heard before right like it's like getting paid to own the https protocol right or the all that stuff so it's similar to that we're saying you could own a piece of that protocol and get paid every time it gets used or is it more programming language that we're just going to build things on
1: this one is would be more programming language
0: right but and uh the, the protocol
1: themselves that would generate the utility like uh like uh, the apps, uh, applications that build, they would generate utilities through uh,
0: transaction costs. But, yeah. Yeah, but that seems to be the knock on all this too, of like who, nobody wants to pay all these gas fees and and all these transaction costs in the new environment. To have, what's the solution there?
1: Yeah, that is a point where, say, But I'm a bit skeptical on DeFi on this uh, sense that there is not economic utility yet created uh, for, say, DeFi. For Web3 in relationship to metaverse, to gaming, NFTs, these things are like, uh, say, it's a gaming, right? People play to to, to, to play. These are natural why i I personally actually i i believe in in metaverse not not say more of this because it it doesn't have a clear competitor in traditional space right it's being developed it's it's traditional players are coming zara and it creates some need for for say this the the that that either some some kind of entry point to, to your universe, to your yeah. game, to your collection. And,
0: and what's and, an example and, of that? Like I could bring my virtual currency across games or something, right? Spend it in this game, spend it in that game, use it in this metaverse. Yes, so yeah.
1: therefore there's like uh, several. So within say, so Web3, so so Web3 as we talk is interesting. Like as I said uh, we run NLP so so we have uh, NLP being again so imagine in traditional company you always have uh, you have like very big uh, when company like it's first IPO right yeah you have everything what they are doing once they are up and running, you have quarterly calls. you know exactly what they are doing. In, in this space in crypto space zero right you have Bitcoin <laughs> white paper is ten pages or eleven this is what they do yeah most of the protocols but what we created we created uh, what is called natural language process processing where we would analyze actually textual content of uh, of protocols by by like and you can different analysis, like say what words do they most frequently use? And that information, once you have that information, you can say build clusters, right? More or less we can identify, say, Web3 and and we can create some clusters. And so for example, Web3 so layer zero, the one that we we said that used to build uh, application layers uh, the most uh, the three words that make it uh, different from uh, layer one from like say ethereum and defy like say from Uniswap, uh, with all this is data security and provider right so which makes sense so so web3 is about providing secure data is a storage or exchange for usage right for then we, we go into this uh like uh, chain link for example the ones that actually use for them specific words are data and toracon. That being said, they, they connect different applications and especially where there's a price information or there's some sort of like reward information, this type of stuff that kind of connects you, allow you to connect different <laughs> metaverses right? or exchange yeah. your money through different
0: metaverses. Right, and, I'm and lying then, that I got it, but it sort yes. of makes
1: sense. <laughs> oh, it's, it's a nice, it's a interesting stuff, right? And the best within Web3 was the best uh, last uh, year was uh, best was performing actually a business to customer. The one that kind of distribute uh, either videos, right? Hmm. Or some sort of uh, information.
0: But that's a company report. or a token? Or a coin. It's a sector.
1: I, I call it more like a subsector. So but the those most, sectors uh, are
0: made up of the coins, not alt- the companies. Coins, yes, yes. Got it. Uh,
1: okay. I strictly speaking, it's a DAO, decentralized yeah, yeah. autonomous organization. Yeah, yeah. But they for me it's almost like uh, for me it's almost like a, some sort of uh, maybe startup or those are things that they have valid uh, application, right? We have valid uh, white papers, developers.
0: Right. So it's your, your whole point of coming back to it's the VC world, the digital VC world. Who, who knows who the winners are going to be? Choose a sector.
1: Choose a sector, diversify market a lot. cap, either volume market cap, a lot of, especially biggest challenge for, for b- building a systematic solution is really data i spend much more than i imagined that i want to <laughs> yeah data on on cleaning on understanding differences between different providers
0: and they just point- there's no standard for like their apis oh. to pull the data yeah so you're yeah. in the wild west there and then how many exchanges are there yes, that you've identified
1: trading application is another thing yeah usually i would yeah i would always Fundamental data is important, at least this kind of uh, say screening. That at least uh, there's a white paper, you can compare it, you can identify it. Then you have market cap that some protocols actually they may overstate, understate. So you need to have different ways of comparing actually outliers, right? Picking outliers, then accounting for volumes especially once we build up a uh, scalable
0: asset management solution. I'm going to let you go here, but I need to know first what's on your shirt. Looks like some math.
1: Ah, yes. It's uh, actually, <laughs> I want it to be for, for this. Uh, yeah. yeah. I like it. It's uh, from stored. It's uh, Yeah, just some formula.
0: <laughs> just some form- I thought it said Jeff yes. for me. I see a lot of Fs on the top line. Okay, no. <laughs> the Fair market value. Uh, I think it's a from
1: physics, th- so it's a force or something. It's ah, probably. the
0: force, mass <laughs> times volume. Yeah, right. or mass times velocity is force, right? Yeah. We'll, sh- we'll show our lack of physics knowledge here. Uh, and then I was going to close with our what would you invest in, but you sort of answered. So if you got $1,000 crypto edition, $1,000, where are you putting it?
1: Uh, one thousand. So one one thousand is it's. I mean, it just go with uh, Ethereum. I
0: Ethereum. I mean, All with
1: right. Bitcoin, you probably want max for for your buck. So I think Ethereum will outperform Bitcoin.
0: Uh, and now if I hundred X that so I'm hundred thousand,
1: hundred. Uh, then I would go a li- a little bit more like say sector based or broad market, but a little bit with uh. Like what I said, uh, some fundamental ways, even as simple as market cap. That you don't need to rebalance frequently, but it's definitely worth to have more
0: diversification. Uh, and then, so at a million, same thing, just larger numbers.
1: At million, yes, I would do the same. Would you know, try, try and, to build up a diversified portfolio. of
0: token And then a hundred million.
1: does that scare you yeah that scares me that's a good so actually that uh, i would uh, this for example uh at signum we actually have different pockets of investing so we have uh uh, venture capital so of course part of should go venture capital is the highest risk highest return potential Mm -hmm. then we have uh say, fund of funds. We are also building up systematic strategies that that say, but most of the stuff, say, to invest in crypto, you need to have long bit exposure. You you cannot do shorts. Right? It's not a market that where you would benefit. So
0: that being said... Really? So Even low. with the past two years and some of these drastic spikes lower? No. Too hard it's to difficult,
1: grab? It's difficult yeah. to show. First of all, you can only short say, safely is Bitcoin and Ethereum, the yeah. rest are very hard. Right? It's not, say…
0: You'd be paying 80% percent borrow rate or something, yeah. Yes. Uh,
1: so, going back to so fund-of-fund fund or some systematic strategies, we also have yield, so more some sort of arbitrage, right? You, yeah. There are different ways, either staking. Also, like arbitrage, say cash and carry arbitrage, which more or less the same. And and also some BT, like pure BT exposure.
0: And so last bit on the, you mentioned the staking and the yield farming. Like, is that even further afield than traditional finance, right? Like the coins are one thing, but that seems to be, um, what are your hesitations there? What have you seen that scares you there? What excites you there? Mm
1: -hmm. I think uh, so what excites of course is they offer rates uh, higher than say traditional finance although I think it's it's definitely it's a
0: protocol risk wallet risk so those I mean you're basically it's an unsecured loan right yes so that's the arguments against is like hey you could do an unsecured loan on people's cars and stuff and get high rates also um so it seems it seems to me some of the arguments against are you're getting uh, unsecured loans at rates lower than they should be. Yes, but we'll let that we'll let people argue that one. Uh, all right, Arthur, any last thoughts? Let them. You're on Twitter there and your blog post too, right? Tell everyone where they can find you.
1: Yes, uh, so so uh, people can find me on on Twitter. I I try to be active. Uh, I actually. Nowadays, I I think there is a lot of useful information,
0: right? Uh, and uh, yes. Yeah, wrote I wrote an email. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do a well. What's your Twitter handle? We'll put it in the uh, links too, at, but...
1: uh, after Arthur All
0: right, A R T U R S E P P. Yes. Um, quick, I was went down to the office yesterday, which is near the Board of Trade there, and I parked in what's called the Traders Self Park. It's from 40 years ago, right, where people would trade when they went to the Board of Trade and did the mm. hand-to-hand combat trading. So the elevator buttons are all like gold, wheat, T-bills, Euro oh. dollars, right? They're, all the floors are named after uh, futures trades. So I, just, I took a picture of that and tweeted it out, and it's like going on 3,000 likes. I'm like, I'll put out some well-thought-out thread or something intelligent, and it gets two likes and one... One retweet, <laughs> you take a picture of an elevator buttons and it gets 3,000 links. So tw- Twitter's a weird place. Uh, not that anyone needed to know that. Um, and then what's the blog? Ah, yes, also my blog. I, forgot. So,
1: I think uh, as we spoke a little bit at the beginning. For, for me, QuantRitter is, uh, is my passion. So, so I, I really separate. That is my profession that... Uh, make something that creates, say, say utility. But I also, it's more like a passion where where I spend more time, say, understanding how things work. So using either maybe more technical stuff or maybe more something beyond. And of course, uh, I I try to, to, to keep the blog. There's a lot of, say, my older academic stuff. Some almost like uh, memoirs <laughs> on, on quant and systematic uh, trading, but also new stuff is coming, especially on crypto. Right now we are working on very interesting work. It's more, say, academic, of course, academic, like not academic, it's like the modeling flavor. But it's, yeah. uh,
0: what, crypto, we didn't the, mention it. Uh, mm-hmm. What's the URL? We'll send people there. We'll put it in the show notes, but tell them, tell the listeners. Is,
1: but... is, uh, my, my website is also com.
0: Easy. You got, you got the best so, ones. Yes. It's nice having a unique name, right? Um, yeah, well, yeah. All right, Arthur, thanks so much. I'll let you go enjoy your evening there. My last Thank question, you, Jeff, when because, you moved uh, your head, I saw a picture. of. Is that your kids and ski goggles? Uh, yes, exactly. It's, nice. Uh, Where do you ski? My wife... Uh... <laughs> Well,
1: we ski. I mean, it's uh, lucky to, to be in Switzerland. Uh, yeah. And and we regularly go skiing. Actually, our son now is six years, and he's he's perfect ski. Yeah. He, I really, I I never expected that I would be able to ski with my son. So, like, say when he's yeah. six right and
0: and <laughs> that's my main goal in life i keep in shape just so my son's 13 now so he's uh, yeah almost fast for me but right i want to be in shape for when he's 18 and going down super hard stuff and i got to keep up with him so, <laughs> well that's my motivation I keep you keep all you right going. well now we got to get a trip out to switzerland to ski together we'll we'll bring Bastian uh, bastion along and get a, get a little quant quant ski trip going <laughs>
1: That
0: would be great. All right, Artur. Thanks so much.
1: We'll Thank you, Jeff. You soon. Yeah. All right. Ciao.
0: You've been listening to The Derivative. Links from this episode will be in the episode description of this channel. Follow us on Twitter at RCM Alt and visit our website to read our blog or subscribe to our newsletter at RCMAlts.com. If you liked our show, introduce a friend and show them how to subscribe. And be sure to leave comments. We'd love to hear from you. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as legal, business, investment, or tax advice. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of RCM Alternatives, their affiliates, or companies featured. Due to industry regulations, participants on this podcast are instructed not to make specific trade recommendations nor reference past or potential profits. And listeners are reminded that managed futures, commodity trading, and other alternative investments are complex and carry a risk of substantial losses. As such, they are not suitable for all investors.